All right, we're talking about a simple faith. So here at Grace, we love to kind of just to deconstruct things. We love to kind of get deep and stuff. And, uh, you know, I had some people ask me one time, why does everything have to be so complicated, Devin? Why do you have to just make everything? Why can't it just be simple? I think that's a terrific question. Here's the answer. We tend to make things complicated because I'm not teaching you things. They tend to get complicated because I'm having to unteach things. Does that make sense? I would rather everyone come in the door with no concept of Jesus or the Scriptures and give them something fresh. And if we started fresh with every person, things would be simple as could be here. The problem is, you guys didn't start here, right? We all started all different places, and we all bring it here because the, that grace, we try to Mix in diversity, meaning we value the experiences and the encounters and the understandings that you bring into this place. You know, if you're charismatic or Catholic or Baptist or atheist, you bring something unique and it's valuable. But in the process of us growing together, we have to unteach things. We have to unpack things. We have to, you know, it's not enough for me to say, no, don't think that that's stupid. Right? There's, there's an age with your kids, they're about two or three, you can tell them no. Right? And then from about two on up, what do you have to do? Explain yourself, okay? And so, unfortunately, not all of you are spiritually or mentally two years old. So there's a lot of explaining that goes in things. No, don't think that. That's stupid. Don't touch that. That's hot. Why? Okay, here's, here, here. And things get complicated in that process. But at the same time, there's value in us getting back to the basics, getting back to the simplicity of things. And so I want to take a break from uh, the usual here at Grace, having to unpack things and kind of make things a bit more complicated so that we can um, unteach and reteach things. And I wanted this this series just to be about us kind of getting to the most basic, simplistic things. And, and, And so the question in this series is this, at the most basic, pure level, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is a simple faith? What does a simple faith um, look like? And so um, Pastor Juliana last week, she talked about, about prayer. One of the first pieces or steps to being a believer, one of the most basic things about it is prayer. And in prayer, it's, prayer isn't about saying words or, or all this kind of stuff. Prayer is this. Prayer is that we believe that there is a God who desires to connect to us. There's a space where we believe that there's a God, there's a being who wants us in some way, shape, or form to have connection, to have a two-way relationship. And so in that, again, one of the most simple, basic things about following Jesus, being a Christian, is to believe that your relationship with God is that. It's relational. It's two-way. And so this morning, I want to talk about the Scriptures. We as, uh, as Christians, we have a very interesting um, heritage when it comes to the uh, to Scriptures. Who here is Catholic? I, I have a half hand. <laughs> a half hand. Who here, Eastern Orthodox? Anybody? If so, you are my new favorite person. Anybody want to be my favorite person? We're going to hang out every day if you really are Eastern Orthodox. No? Okay. How about Anglican? The old Church of England. Anybody? Huh? No, <laughs> sailed across the pond to get away from those crazies, huh? So what would that make you? Who knows what that word is called? You guys are what? You, P, Protestants, which is, okay, which comes from what word? To protest. You guys are a bunch of protesters. Isn't that cool? 
the very root of what you are as far as how you pursue God is you protest how other people do it. Now, where do you think this road's going to go? Okay, the Catholic Church officially, there are officially two branches in the Catholic Church. You've got the Catholic Church, Anglican branch. There is one branch to the Eastern Orthodox Church. There's one Eastern Orthodox Church, no branches. How many branches do you think the Protestant Church has? The group of churches that started by saying, you're doing it wrong. Who do you think? Come on, just guess the number. Five, 23, how about, how, how many? A hundred? Keep going. Five hundred, keep going. <laughs> Thousands, and now, okay, I, I would give you the number, but I'm scared to be wrong. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's over 22,000, but it could be 2,000. Either way, what's it matter? Okay, at least over 2,000 denominations, meaning over 2,000 disagreements on the scriptures. Unfortunately, it's the one day I didn't bring my Bible. Who has an actual Bible? No, actually, you're fine. I'll I'll be sacrilegious. Okay, why do you think Catholics don't fight over the Bible? Because their authority is the Pope. So they fight over what? Who is the Pope? Now, why does the Eastern Orthodox Church not fight over the Bible? Because their authority is church history. It's hard to fight over that. But when your authority is a book with hundreds and hundreds of pages spanning multiple cultures and languages and contexts, multiple authors, do you think we have a chance to have a different understanding of what it means? You better believe it. So we come from a branch of the church tree where what we care most about, we believe that the, the Scriptures are the foundation for being a follower of Jesus. And on top of that, we believe that having the right understanding of those Scriptures is foundational for following Jesus. And so when that comes from that, it's not hard to imagine why we begin to fight over jots and tittles. I forgot the number, but I think it's somewhere around like every year, there's close to like 25 to 100 new denominations in the Protestant world are born every year. We find new things to disagree on, new ways to reinterpret the Scriptures, new ways to argue over original sin. Were you born a worm or were you born a human? Were you born, you stink, or were you born, oh, I love you? We find new ways to to argue over, was the world born in 6,000 years? Or was the world born in 80 billion years? How about that? We find ways to argue over every single thing in, in, in the Bible. And so the question for us is this, how do we get to a simple approach to the Scriptures? What is the most simple part of following the Scriptures? Now, I think simplicity is important. Um, it's t-ball season. It's almost done. Thank the Lord. It's getting really hot outside. But yeah, but like both my boys are playing. And so um, on the average day, we go out and back and we throw the ball. There are, baseball's a pretty complex game. There are a lot of different things that happen in the game. You can make baseball very complex. I remember being in the classroom 
with a coach, and he's got, you know, all the numbers and the plays on the board and all the codes, and he's breaking down everything. I'm just in there going, I never knew baseball was this complex. This is crazy. But there's something about being in the backyard playing catch. It's important. There is, there is a place for making things complex. You have to, if you want to, to excel, to really get the most out of the game, you have to go there. But there's also importance of learning to just play catch. Right? And so for us, we're, we're trying to learn to play catch a little bit with the Scripture. That's kind of what we're trying to do. What is the most basic thing that we can do? Now, to understand the most basic approach to the Scriptures, we have to understand stories and how important stories are. So, here's a question. Who has ever heard or seen of the story of the giant shark named Jaws? Hands, come on. Okay. Mm. Have you ever been in the ocean and thought about a giant shark named Jaws? Okay. Even more irrational. Have you ever been in a swimming pool and thought, this pool's really big. I can't see the other end. There could be a Jaws. And come on, be honest. Who's, has a thought crossed your mind? Okay, one honest. I'm not the only crazy person here. Okay, it's, it happens. It's, it's just in there. Okay, this irrational, silly, stupid story about a giant shark that just eats everything, right? What were my parents thinking, you know? Absolutely. We're going to talk about parents and their rolling stories. Yes, yeah, soon enough. You just wait. No. I mean, ugh. It's a dumb story. Logically, it makes no sense. But emotionally, there's something about it. It's hard to let go of this thing. Stories shape us, and they move us, and they kind of control the way that we understand the world. Now, here's some more like serious stories that, uh, that affect you. Every one of you was born into a world that had this understanding. When you get sick, what do you do? Go to the doctor. Most of you should have said that. If you said shaman or like, you know, to the health food store to go see her. <laughs> we need to talk. We need to talk. Okay, you bunch of hippies. All right, okay. Most of you are born into a world that has a story. It's the story of modern science. It's only been around for about, you know, close to 400 years. It's a very young story. But this story says something. It says that humans have the ability to make the world better through technology, through science, through mathematics, through invention, through innovation. And so, and so about 150 years ago, the end thing to do was to write fiction stories about how, pif- how amazing and perfect the world would be if technology and science continued to, you know, their, their incline, if you would, you know, to continue to, to, to make the world better. In theology, the same thing happened. Theologies about God and the church begin to change to fit this notion that the world was on its way up. Things will get better because man's going to continue to improve itself with science and with reason and with tech. Who here is still hoping that like, they find a way to preserve your body? Come on. There we go. Come on. Okay. There are people who sincerely are saying, hey, if I die, I want you to take my head, freeze it, Wait until there's technology to put me to a robot so I can live forever. That sounds a little silly, okay? But how about this? With our children, our children will likely live in a world where there is a colony on Mars. It is a normal thing for people to live on Mars. This notion 
that the world will be fixed by whom? Man, right? This is a story that all of you were born into. The idea that if you live in a first world country with technology and money, it is a better, safer world than a third world one without it. But what's interesting is 200 years ago, they didn't live in a world where over a million people could be killed in a second. Did they? The weapons that exist today did not exist back then. There's this uh, philosopher who's famous for saying that he believes that technology is one of the biggest dangers to, to humans. And they said, how can you say that doctors save so many lives every day in surgery? He was talking to a surgeon, and he said, what percentage of those, of those surgeries come from technology, from cars, from, from work with machinery, from airplanes? How many of those happen from that? And the doctor was silent. Now, I'm not trying to attack technology, okay? Everyone's like, whoa. It's back to the Stone Age for Christians, right? The Amish had it right the entire time. <laughs> Back to the horse and buggy, I guess, right? But the point is this. You, you are born into stories. And stories shape the way that you see the world, the way you understand things, the way you interact with people. I was joking with the first service, you know, about the Russians. You know, and I was like, who here loves Russia? You know, no one hand. Who here thinks Russia is the best country on the planet? Who here knows anything about Russia? <laughs> you know, it's like, who here has been to Russia? Who here has friends who are Russian? Who here studied Russia? Nobody had raised a hand, right? But their stories were born into because as Americans, the Americans are the what guys? The good guys. And the Russians are the, the bad guys. You're born into the Cold War story, right? And so to be a Christian is this. The most simplistic approach to the Scriptures for us is this. To be a Christian is to allow the story of Jesus to be the primary shaper and molder of how we see the world. It's it's to allow the story of Jesus to change and to form your story, your life. That is the most essential, bare-bones approach to what it means to be a Christian with the Scriptures. We allow and choose the story of Jesus, to shape us and change us in a way that no other story can. Now, this is controversial. When you begin to to say, the story of Jesus will shape everything else in my life, there are some serious implications. Now, the verse we had this morning was what? John what? John 3? Okay. For God so loved the world that... Isn't Isn't that beautiful? The only verse we can all say together in unison, right? Woo! As kids, it's the first verse that we're taught, right? In, in nursery, you know, that's the first verse the kids can say back. It's one of the verses that we're taught because we believe it's one of the most pure kind of uh, simplistic approaches to what is the good news of Jesus. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that it would not perish, but that it would have eternal life, right? Now, who happens to know what word is used in the Greek for world? If your Bible says earth, for God so loved earth, I want you to throw that. No, I'm sorry. I want you to bring out your lighter right now, Fahrenheit 451 on it. We're going to get a trash can, and right here, right? The word, the Greek word is cosmos. 
What I love about cosmos is cosmos is a very what word? It's a very big word, very expansive word. What I was taught was, for God so loved Devin Walker, he died for you. Now, is that true? Everyone's like questionable, right? Maybe, maybe. But there's something that's dangerous about this. When I am born into a story that tells me, for God so loves me. Hmm. But what happens if I'm born into a story that says, for God so loved me and, not you, you. Right? What happens when this story begins to expand? For God so loved the earth. Hippies, it's your chance. Come on. Amen, Mother Earth. (laughs) You know. How does this story shape you and affect you and form you and transform your life? Now, there are all sorts of different things hidden inside this. I mean, this this story can transform your life in multiple ways. I... um, Pastor Zach's one of my favorites, but uh, you guys didn't know this. Pastor Zach, he was a, a, uh, a vegetarian. I think it was close to seven years. Was it seven years, Kristen? Eight years. Oh, she knows. <laughs> Eight years. All right, Zach, tofu. Okay. Let's do it again. Eight years. He had to avoid his favorite restaurant. Who knows what that is? It's the dumbest restaurant in the world. Long John Silver's. What is wrong with that guy? Everyone pray for him, right? Okay. He's preaching next Sunday, so you guys can just, you know, just shout him down or pray for him, whatever it is he needs. When I was very uh, being mean to him, that's what I'd do. I'd, I'd just kind of come in with stuff with, like, the malt vinegar, just have it, just put it on my food. Oh, he would he'd about lose it. He, he was a vegetarian. Why? Because the story that God so loved the world that he gave his only son shaped him in such a powerful, real way that he was willing to change the way he eats. How ridiculous is that, right? Have you ever heard of anyone in the Bible who changed what they ate because of the story of God? You should say yes, right? I remember just like the way people people would react to him. Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, you've never heard of that before, have you? You I've seen people who the story of how God so loved the cosmos affected them and changed their lives so much that they went and traded in their giant gas-guzzling vehicle for a Prius to be holy like I am. (laughs) Better believe it, saving the earth and your life at the same time, right? (laughs) Now, at the heart of the story are two things. At the heart of the story of Jesus is love and sacrifice. We can combine them. Sacrificial love, right? The Bible is a very tricky book. Because it is so complex, it's so diverse, it covers so many different worlds, it has so many different goals and points and authors and opinions and, and perspectives. It's, it, I could almost make it say anything. Actually, we are going to do this. We're going to have one Sunday where I'm going to have you guys send me the craziest topics or items. I want you to prove to me the Bible is for nuclear warfare. And I'm going to do my best on one Sunday to make the Bible fit the craziest idea. Because I want you to see something. The Bible, because it's so diverse and rich, can be used for almost anything. 
if you mishandle it skillfully, which means I can deceive very well. (laughs) And so in this, the story of Jesus can be many things. If I use the entirety of the Scriptures, the story of Jesus, the image of Jesus can be completely different. You can have Mother Teresa who's washing feet of lepers, or you can have the KKK, and they both claim that they are operating under the story of Jesus, right? But there are two things that you have to pull out of the story. Sacrifice and love. If sacrificial love is the root of the story of Jesus, if God so loved that he sacrificed, right? If this, if the cross is the center of the story of Jesus, we can start with this. And as we begin to allow us to apply to our lives, it's going to change us. Now, there are stages to learning. There are stages to shaping even. There are stages to how this story of Jesus begins to get into us. There are three primary forms or stages of learning. The first one is cognitive, meaning it's mental. The first stage of learning anything is mental. You begin to grasp it, to have a comprehension. You begin to get a grip on it mentally. You understand it a little bit here. Now, the second stage is emotional. So I mentally have a, I understand it, I grasp it, but now emotionally I'm going to connect to this thing. Now, most churches focus on these two forms of learning. Okay, the first one is mental. I'm going to explain every detail of this so that you understand it. Now, if you went to a Baptist church, this is going to be the focus. Okay, um, if you went to, say, uh, Lutheran maybe even too, the same thing. It's going to be mental. Now, again, this is valuable. We have to have this step. This is very important. If you went to a charismatic or a holiness church, what they are after is this emotional connection, right? I, I feel this. It moves me. I'm going to have, the pastor is going to use some really good skilled speaking techniques to make you feel very, very guilty and afraid. And I'm going to scare you so bad you're going to run to the front to get clean or else you're going to burn for a million years plus a million years plus a million years plus a million years if you're really bad. But the third level, the psychologists say you you don't fully understand a thing until it's gone from here to here until it becomes part of you. Now, this is behavior. You understand something. You get it It, so much. You've absorbed it so deep that you don't just mentally understand it. You don't just emotionally have connection to it. It's almost like it has you. Now, uh, with Pastor Larry, you know, He's a blast in so many good ways. But uh, he used all of his pastoral studies and all this junk in his parenting. That was a blast as a kid. Yeah, I had a Bible verse for everything, right? So if you want to know why I learned how to skillfully use the Scriptures to argue with people, really what the Bible also says, do not embitter your children, Dad. That's a sin. You're causing me to stumble. Lord says he's going to put a millstone on your neck and throw it in the ocean. <laughs> oh, man, the Bible's fun. You have all sorts of fun people. But he'd always say this thing, you know, I, you know who knows what, what, what we are arguing about. But I'd say, Dad, I know that. Leave me alone. Get out of my room, Dad. And he, and he would say, yada. Everyone goes, what? You don't know it till you yada, Devin. 
Yeah, that, that's what it's like having a pastor as a dad. So in Hebrew, it's the word for knowing, to understand something. But the meaning of yada is to do. You don't know until you do, right? Which, interestingly, that's the third level of understanding. That's the deepest level. So that's what I would always get. Yada! Whatever. Yoda, you know, right? Right? <laughs> My gosh. You do not know. You don't get the story of Jesus until it gets you. Now, there are all sorts of different understandings and arguments for what the story of Jesus is or what Christianity should look like. There are all different ways to worship. There are arguments over how if the pastor should be dressed like this or if he should be in, you know, flip-flops or have the holy garb. You know, should we be in a building? Should we not be in a building? Should the building be taller, older, newer? Should we have music with guitars or just singing or should we all be silent, you know, or have bells? I mean, we can disagree on everything, right? But the root of the story of Jesus is sacrificial love and Here's the question. Is your life being shaped and transformed by sacrificial love? This is the heart of it. Now, probably about 15 years ago, I was absolutely serious about Jesus. I took it very seriously. And I tried to conform my life to what I believed the story of Jesus was. It made me, arguably, one of the most sincere uh, well-studied Christian buttholes you will ever meet. You better believe it. I was the guy, <laughs> if we're at the restaurant and you grab the wine menu, uh-huh! <clears throat> you're like, yeah, that's still me, right? You know, if, 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 if we're hanging out with friends, like, hey, Let's go see that radar movie. I'd be like, oh, sorry, guys, I have to leave. <laughs> oh, about time to go home and pray. When's your prayer time? <laughs> yeah, you get it. Hey, whoa, did you hear, did you hear what my mother just said? She just said he was terrible. <laughs> that's, that's a little painful. It kind of hurts. I only got sacrificial love. Man, here's the thing. When it comes to this, when it comes to the approach of the Scriptures, if your hope is to figure it out, to find the perfect, flawless interpretation of the Scriptures to please God, I pity you. Because you will never find it. The more that I have studied, the more that I have tried to dig, the more, the more, the more... There are thousands of great interpretations, arguments, understandings, doctrines, practices. I mean, again, church history. There's a reason that there's who knows how many thousand churches in Alma and only 5,000 people here. <laughs> it's there. To be a Christian is this. Your deepest choice and intent is that your life would be governed and changed and formed according to the story of Jesus. That you, that God would transform you to be in the image of His Son. And the safest place to start is sacrificial love. Is that all there is to it? No. That's a good sound.
all of my other series. We will go in classes, and you know, there's no end to the amount of times we will try to, to figure more and more of it out and sort through more and more of it. But at the heart of it is this, is your life being transformed by sacrificial love? The only question is this, the issue is not where you start. You can start in any type of church, any type of practice, even any type of crazy doctrine. But if your intent is to allow the sacrificial love of Jesus to transform your life, I have hope for you. You will continue to grow and transform through that. The question is not where you start allowing Jesus to transform your life. The question is this, where do you quit? What in your life is untouchable for Jesus? This is the dangerous part. As I've matured and grown as a pastor, I've learned to not waste your time or energy or my own trying to get everyone to have the right doctrine, right thinking about God. This stuff matters, and we will work on it, but it's going to take us a long time as a community. The issue, the intent is the heart. That's what matters. What in your life is untouchable? What in your life are you not willing to have examined? to have questioned, to have pushed or prodded or probed or, or just changed even. This is what matters for us. And so in this stuff, you know, if you want to find out in your life, if you're still growing with God, just ask yourself, what is untouchable? What will I not allow God to touch or to question or to, to mess with? And we all have them. And so for us, the question is, it starts with this. To follow Jesus, to allow the scriptures and the story of Jesus to transform us, it starts with this. Am I loving my friend? Am I loving them in a way that puts them before myself? Am I approaching my neighbor? Am I loving them in a way that places them above myself? Am I loving my spouse or my child in a way that places them above myself? You know, there are a thousand ways, there are, you know, I don't do conferences on parenting or marriage. We will, but I try not to because there's no one way to do any of this stuff. There are all sorts of ways that could work. The only thing I can tell you that works every time is are you approaching your child in a way that is sacrificially loving? Are you approaching your spouse in a way that is sacrificially loving? Are you approaching your neighbor, your friend, your enemy in a way that is sacrificially loving? loving? Is it costing you? Does it hurt? Is it frustrating to love them in this way? Good. Is that all there is to it? No, but that's the best place to start. And so for you as a Christian, as you approach the Scriptures, I want you to understand this. The Scriptures are daunting. It's the most complex book in human history, but they don't have to be. The approach isn't to get it right. The approach is start right. The way the Scriptures transform us is that we just start somewhere. And the somewhere we start is with the very heart of the gospel, that God so loved that he sacrificed. And this is what it means to his story shape our story. We start here, and as we work this out, all of the details will pop up. All of the, the needed studies and the unteaching and the unlearning and the reteaching, the relearning, all this stuff will happen. But at the heart of it, here's the most important question. You can be in church for your entire life. You can study books. You can do all sorts of great things. But are you living your life towards other human beings in a way that is sacrificially loving? Because I'm telling you this, to live a life lovingly will cost you something. 
to, to live your life learning and growing intellectually is not going to cost you very much. But to live your life treating your neighbor in a way that is sacrificially loving will cost you a lot. To, to have a marriage that is sacrificially loving will cost you a lot. This is what it is to follow Jesus. Would you guys stand with me?